Thank you, Jonathan. Good morning again. It's great to be here. My name is Tony Ellswick. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's great to be able to bring the message today. Uh, during Advent, we are pausing our uh, series through Mark, and so today we're going to be in Luke 13 and Ezekiel 17. So the passage is in your worship folder, but it'll also be uh, on the screen behind me. Let's read it. Luke chapter 13, verses 22 to 30. He, meaning Jesus, went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer you. I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out, and people will come from east and west, from north and south, and recline at the table in the kingdom of God, and behold, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last." Then Ezekiel chapter 17, verses 22 through 24. Thus says the Lord God, I myself will take a sprig from the lofty top of the cedar and will set it out. I will break off the topmost of its young twigs, a tender one, and I myself will plant it on a high and lofty mountain. On the mountain height of Israel will I plant it that it might bear branches and produce fruit and become a noble cedar. And under it will dwell every kind of bird. In the shade of its branches, birds of every sort will nest. And all the trees of the field shall know that I am the Lord. I bring low the high tree and make high the low tree, dry up the green tree and make the dry tree flourish. I am the Lord. I have spoken and I will do it. This is the word of the Lord. Please recite this with me. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. So as we enter into the season of Christmas and Advent, as we prepare for that, it's a time of surprises. And this is one of the things that Jesus is talking about. He's talking about the surprise that will come when they try to get into the feast. But as we go through and you get presents and you start going towards Christmas, there's, there's some surprises. And a lot of those surprises are good, and sometimes those surprises are bad. Sometimes they're, they're not good. And that happened to me. I had a not good surprise several years ago. Uh, when we were first married, we went to a church in Miami, and we had, um, every year, our community group had a white elephant gift exchange. And so the first year we went, it was so much fun. They, everybody gave, like, most of it was all just really funny gifts. Uh, and then there was some, like, service gifts, like babysitting and those type of things. But most of it was just just good hilarity, fun. And, and I remember what I got that year was this angel tree topper decorated as like a G.I. Joe soldier. And, and the pastor had made some comment about how angels were, you know, more military looking probably than, 
the way we picture them on our tops of our trees. And so somebody, whatever, made that G.I. Joe angel as a joke. And that's what I got, and it was great. Well, about five years later, I um, am going to, preparing to go to this Christmas party again, and I'm cleaning out my shed, and I find the G.I. Joe angel. And I think, this is going to be great. This is going to be so funny. I'm going to resurrect it from back in the day. I'm going to be able to give it out. Everybody's going to think it's funny. I think it's funny. And if I think it's funny, it's going to be funny, right? Like, I'm feeling pretty good about myself. And it turned out it was actually probably one of my, my top two comedic fails. It was just, did not go the way I thought. So we get to, the day comes, we get to, we get to the gift exchange, and everybody's, you know, starting to, to, to pull their number and open up. And I'm just, I'm feeling good. I'm so confident. This is going to be great. And the first person opens up their gift, and it's like, a nice mug. And the next person, it was like a nice ornament. The next person, it was a nice candle. And I start thinking, I think I got something wrong. <laughs> Somehow, over the last five years, it went from a funny gift exchange to a serious gift exchange, and I missed the boat. And then I'm looking around, and I'm realizing a lot of the old-timers that were there five years ago aren't even in the room anymore, right? So, so they might not get the joke. And so they start opening them, and they're all serious, and I'm starting to sweat and do the math, okay? You know, all right, most people here are couples. And so if the husband gets the joke gift, at least the wife will get a serious gift, or, or vice versa. Everything will be okay as long as the one single lady in our group doesn't get my present. So it's her turn. She goes and she picks up her present. And everybody's having a good time. And they're excited and they're, they're laughing. And she's, you can see all, all, like, on her face, right, the, the expectation of what's going to happen. What gift is she going to get? She starts to open it, and you can just see her face change to, like, confusion and then despair. This is what she got. She wasn't one of the old-timers. She didn't know. She just got some piece of junk G.I. Joe angel that was in my shed for five years. All my friends abandoned me faster than the disciples at Gethsemane. You know, they just, poof, they were gone. What are you doing? You know, I had to out myself because it was so, so horrendous. The mood shifted. Amber's like looking around. I don't know this guy. Luckily, I went after her, so I got to steal her gift so she could pick a real gift, and then I had to take it back again in shame. But there are surprises, and we need to know what we're going into because what Jesus is talking about in here is that in the end, in the final judgment, we are going to be surprised. But what he wants to make sure and what he's warning us is to make sure that we have a good surprise and not a bad surprise. So he gives the story of this party that's happening and everybody's there. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. I mean, it's great. You know, all the prophets are there. Everybody who would have been these Jews' heroes is there at the party. And so they're thinking, I'm going to get to go in. I'm finally going to get to go in and meet Abraham. This is going to be so awesome. We're, we're going to get in. We're going to get to the party. But instead, they get there, and they're surprised. They thought it was a good works party, but it turns out it's a faith party. And so they weren't able to get in. 
And instead, instead what's really offensive to them is that all these Gentiles and the Romans, they, they do get to go in. They get to go meet these people's heroes. And that's a big surprise, and that's offensive. And they had reason to be surprised because these Jews were living in peak Judaism. They were, they were really good Jews, or so they thought. I mean, to them, in their minds, they were, they were muy importante. They were very important. They were the people. I mean, throughout the history of the Old Testament, the Jews were not that great. They, didn't, they were not very devout. Um, so one of the things, I remember watching a show one time where, where somebody was trying to debunk the Bible, and they were saying, like, based on archaeology, and what they found in Israel was that during the time of the Old Testament, there's, there's idols to other gods. And so they were saying that that proves that they were polytheistic and disproves the Bible. And I remember yelling at the TV, um, because that's what I do when I'm offended, and no, <laughs> that doesn't disprove the Bible at all. In fact, Every king of Israel and Judah was judged based on whether or not they tore down the high places. So one king would be like, oh, he was a good king, he tore down the high places, and the next king will be judged on whether or not he tore down the high places. And you're like, well, why are there more high places? Because they kept on setting them back up. The high places were, were places of idolatry, where they worshipped false gods. The people weren't very faithful. But in Jesus' day, they, didn't, they weren't setting up high places. They were doing pretty good. We also see that they didn't really observe Passover like they should have. In one of the kings, Josiah's time, he, he finds a book of the law, and they have this big Passover feast, and it says Passover wasn't celebrated like that since the days of Samuel, before the kings. So maybe they had some celebration of the Passover, but it wasn't the big grand event it was supposed to be. But in Jesus' day, they were observing that. I mean, these were the good Jews. They were the Jews of the Jews. They were finally doing things right. They felt good about themselves. And the Romans, I mean, they were trash. They were, they were bad people. What the Cubans would call chusma. They, they were not good. That means trashy people. I mean, they weren't faithful to their wives. They probably mistreated them. They, they had idol worship. I mean, they would famously, you know, kill their newborns if they didn't want them. There was just all sorts of things that they did that was awful. And so the idea that they, the good, important, muy importante Jews, would not be able to get into the party, but these trashy Romans would, is surprising. And it's shocking. And that idea of, of the upturn where the, the people who were important will be last, the first will be last, and the last will be first, that even goes back into the passage we read in Ezekiel. God was tired of all the people who were prideful and who thought good of themselves, and they didn't need the Lord. And so in the passage in Ezekiel, right before the part that we read, it's about a king of Israel who was pompous and thought he was going to break his treaty with Babylon in order to, to make a treaty with Egypt without consulting the Lord or doing what the Lord wants. Did not go well for him. And then in response to that, the Lord says, I'm going to change things up. I'm going to bring the high person low. I'm going to bring the low person high. And that's the part that I think is really hopeful for us. I mean, oftentimes we don't think of the final judgment and judgment as hopeful, but we should because there's this, there's this reversal that's going to happen. I mean, we, we can celebrate the haughty, the proud person being brought low. I mean, we like that. 
But we often forget the fact that we, the low people, will be brought high. This is what it said in Ezekiel. I bring low the high tree, and I make high the low tree. I dry up the green tree and make the dry tree flourish. I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it. There's hope. There's hope in the surprise. And when Jesus comes and he finally judges and makes everything straight, and he finally makes everything clear, we are all going to be in for a big surprise. Either a good one or a bad one. Now we need to pause there a second just to talk about a little bit about the element of the surprise. What does that mean? Because I've heard some people kind of take that and they go too far with that. And they basically mean that if in the final judgment there's any element of surprise, like we can't really know anything about the Lord. Who knows who's going to be accepted at the end? Or maybe unbelievers will be able to be accepted at the end. And they, they take that idea of the surprise as if we can't know anything about the Lord. And, and that's not really what he's saying. That's not really what the point is. It's kind of like this. Um, next week will be my 20th wedding anniversary. So Amber was long-suffering so far for 20 years. And so in those 20 years, I have a very good track record of not knowing what she's thinking or how she's going to respond to something. Just about every time I think, this is, the way she's going to, this is what she's going to think. This is what she's going to say. I'm wrong. I'm just wrong. And so there's this thing, this joke in, in marriage where, where a husband's supposed to pick up on the clues of the wife and he doesn't. And the wife says, well, you should have known. And gratefully, that hasn't been a part of our marriage. And I think it is because Amber knows how hopeless I am. My mom was Cuban. My dad was German. Those are not cultures known for their subtlety, right? These are just in-your-face kind of things. I, Amber's from a Southern background, and she keeps on telling me, sometimes people say things that they don't mean. And I think, I don't know if I believe it, but... But she says it, so it's probably true. And so, so, so there's, this, there's this reality that something will happen, and I'll think, Amber's going to respond this way, I'm wrong. Or sometimes I'll think, it's either this or this. It has to be one of these two, and then it's like a third way. And I'm just always wrong. And, and the point isn't that Amber is irrational, because she's not. The, and it's not like I don't know anything about her. I know her character and I know her values. I know she's a woman of integrity. And so her actions flow from her character and her values. It's just that at the end, when I see how that plays out, it's like, ah, I wouldn't have guessed that. I wouldn't have seen that coming. But it makes sense after the fact. Before the fact, I'm surprised. And that's the way it is with the Lord. We know the character of the Lord. I mean, we know that you have to repent of your sins, put your faith in Him in order to be saved. There's, there's things that we know for sure about the values of the Lord. And because He has integrity, all of His actions flow out of those values. But we're often surprised by how that ends up playing out in real life. So a few weeks ago, we were reading in a community of our reading about Samson. And so on Tuesday mornings at 630 uh, there's a group of men who get together. You're invited, if you're a man, to get together. 6.30 in the morning, we read through communion Bible reading. So we're reading about Samson. And Samson, if you don't know, wasn't a great guy. So it was the time of the judges. After the people of Israel come out of Egypt, they go into the promised land, and they're ruled by judges. And the whole point of the book is to show the, the, the descent into chaos when they don't have a king. 
And the point of the book is to show that each judge is pretty much worse than the one before. And so Samson's towards the end, and he's not a great guy. He's always with prostitutes and Philistine women who were like the pagans. That was a big no-no. He didn't totally take his job seriously. He ends up, you know, he, he had special strength because of his hair, and so he ends up telling a Philistine woman about that. So she cut, they cut off his hair, they capture him at the end, they poke out his eyes, and they're just mocking him. And they take him to this, to this amphitheater or this, this big house or some big building. There's thousands of people there just mocking him. And so he finds his way to the, the main pillars of the structure, and they're probably laughing at him as he's trying to push them down. And then he prays to the Lord for strength one last time. And the Lord gives him the strength, and he pushes the pillars down, and they all die together. And the question that was asked was, all right, so Samson's a bad guy. That's clear. That's, that's almost the point of the story in Judges. But in the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, there's a section in chapter 11 called the Hall of Faith, where they go through all the great heroes of the faith. Abraham, they talk about Moses, they talk about Sarah, like all these great things. And who's mentioned in there? Samson. And so the question is, why was Samson mentioned in the Hall of Faith? Because it's the Hall of Faith, not the Hall of Good Works. And because in his final prayers, he's pushing down the pillars. It's a, it's a prayer of faith. He was crying out to the Lord for help. He knew where his strength came from really at last, and he calls out to him. And so even though we know it's by faith and not by works, when we see that played out in the lives of people like Samson, we're surprised. And even when we know the answer to it, it's still really kind of unsatisfying. He was not a good guy. But this is the essence of the surprise that the low will be made high and the high will be made low. And on that day, there's going to be unexpected surprise. And for for most of us here who are believers, that's going to be a good surprise. It's something that we should have hope for, that we should look forward to, that we should have expectation of. But also for some people, and probably some people here, it's going to be a bad surprise. And it's a fearful expectation because there's a lot of people who still put their hope and their trust in good works. And even in church, well, the majority of the people in church, I think, are truly converted people and who love the Lord and live by faith. There are unconverted people who come into church, and this is just the normal way of life. There's unconverted people who come, and they, they worship here, and they act like Christians, and they talk like Christians, and so we think that they're truly converted people. And a lot of times those people will then leave the church later on. And really as they're here and as they're hearing about it, they're thinking about, they hear about faith and all those type of things. And they probably think that it's just, you know, some form of sentimentality. But really it's about good works. It's about what we do. And so then when they leave the church, then they say, oh, well, you know, all those people were, were hypocrites and fakes. And they don't, you know, they don't really have faith. And that's because they didn't. And so if you're here and you've been attending and then maybe that's you and you don't really have faith and inside your mind we, we don't know what's going on. You're thinking, man, everybody else is a hypocrite just like me. Their, their experience of church is the same way as me. Here's the warning. That's not true. And the, the feast is open and Jesus invites us in. And that's why Jesus had to come. He had to come because our good works don't work. Our good works are never sufficient for salvation. So he came and he lived the perfect life, fully God, fully man, went to the cross, took our sins on him, was punished in our place, 
rose again three days later, sent it to heaven, and now he invites us. The door is open that if we put our faith in him, if we repent of our sins, then we can be saved. But what this passage tells us is that the door is not going to be open forever. So you don't want to wait too long and then be caught with the surprise that you thought you were going to a good works party and it's really a faith party. But for those of us who are believers, the final judgment is actually really, really good news. And it's something we should be hopeful for. Uh, a few weeks ago, we were at a pastor's retreat, and I was there with Drew, and there was a group of pastors, and we were sitting around a fire talking about the final judgment, as one does. And uh, we're talking about it, and we're talking about it mostly in, in terms of doom and sadness and all that type of stuff. And then Drew, he, he pipes up and he makes the point, yeah, but, but there's going to be good things that are revealed in the final judgment too. There's going to be our good works that are going to be revealed, that, we don't, that, that we're going to be surprised about as well. There's goodness there too, and that's part of this passage. As the low are made high, part of that, that, that resurrection that we're bringing them up is our justification, right? It is that we are brought into the family of Christ, we're forgiven of our sins, and we're brought in. And that's a big deal, that we can have confidence in that. But there's another part of that, too, that we get rewarded for what we do for the Lord. In fact, the Bible says that you can't really uh, serve the Lord well unless you believe that he's going to reward you. So there's going to be these rewards. And the system kind of works like if you see those like Fisher-Price basketball hoops, and maybe you see a father playing with their toddler, and then they pick up their toddler, the toddler has the ball, and they pick him up, so the toddler slam dunks the ball, and then they all celebrate. Like the toddler's Michael Jordan. Like, he did, like, oh, wow, look at what you did. It was really the father all along. And that's, that's the way we're going to experience the, the final judgment. When, when he gives us our rewards, we're going to look and we're going to see, wow, look what the Lord did. To, and he brings me along and then he rewards me for doing it. It's something that we can be really excited about. But oftentimes, I think, in the busyness of life, and in the frustration of everyday living, we feel not hopeful about that. And we don't think about that. Because we might look at our lives, and maybe when you read the thing about the different types of trees in Ezekiel, and you hear about the dry tree, and you might think, I identify with the dry tree, right? Like that's the way I feel sometimes, just, just tired and frustrated. And maybe you have young kids, and so your, your day is just, running around looking after the young kids or you go from work to the young kids and you try to get a moment away and the kid starts sticking their fingers underneath the bathroom door and you're like the cute child is now the devil child and just get get away and you think man I don't have any time for anything or maybe you're like me you're in midlife they call it midlife although life expectancy is not 82 and I'm 41 so maybe I'm a little bit on the other side of that, I don't know, broad categories, I guess. But it's common when you get to midlife, you start looking, you say, what have I accomplished? What have I done? Am I on the right track? Do I need to readjust? And you can look at your life and you can say, man, I'm a dry tree. I haven't really accomplished much. Or maybe you're retired and you're here and you look back on your life and you're like, where are the big milestone wins that I had for the Lord? And maybe you don't see any of them feel like the dry tree. Oftentimes, we don't get to see the reality of what we've accomplished in this life. And that's what's going to be so great 
about the final judgment when those things get revealed. I remember I was thinking about this several months ago. I was sitting on my back porch and I was reading the story of a missionary because I used to be a missionary, so I like missionary stories. Um, but this one was a couple from Sweden and they moved to Africa. And they, they leave the, the, the main uh, center, the main camp in Africa, and they go to this, this remote jungle village and they're trying to evangelize this this group, but they're getting nowhere. The chief won't let them come into the community. He won't let them talk to them. In fact, the only person who's allowed to talk to them is a, is a child that they send over, a young boy they send over to sell them food and stuff. And so the wife decides to take the most of, make the most of it, so she evangelizes the young boy. He gets saved. That's great. Uh, then she gives birth to a daughter and dies shortly after that. And so the, the husband, he has like a mental breakdown. He's, he's just hopeless. God's mean to me. Why did all this bad stuff happen? So he goes back to the main compound. He actually leaves his daughter with some friends. It's unclear whether or not he was going to come back for her. I, I, I think it sounds like maybe he was hoping to come back to her. He goes back to Sweden, I think, to kind of compose himself. But while he's gone, his friends die. And so the daughter now gets adopted by American missionaries who return to the States. And so she gets raised in America. She, she does know some of her history. She raised in America. She becomes a believer. And her father, meanwhile, is in Sweden, bitter, and trying to make a new life. And one day as an adult, she gets a magazine in the mail, and it's a story of her mother and her death, and what happened in that community. And it turned out that that one little boy that they led to Christ became a teacher in the community, and he led all the children to Christ, and the children led their parents to Christ, and the whole village comes to Christ. And now that boy is the head of a denomination there, training pastors and sending out, sending out missionary, or pastors, planting churches, and all that. And so she finds her father in Sweden. And now he's older, and he's near death, and he sees her and he gets moved. He feels bad because he didn't mean to abandon her. At least that's what he says. And, but he's still just bitter towards God. And he just says, man, this was all for nothing. All this sacrifice was for nothing. And she says, no. She pulls out the article. She shows him what the sacrifice led to. So that affected a huge change in the father. He, he gets filled with faith again. He gets reconciled to the Lord. He gets to see his daughter and have a little bit of a relationship with her before he died. And it was an amazing thing. He didn't see all the effects of what the good that he had done. And now, I know if you feel like a dry tree, hearing a missionary story doesn't always make you feel like, well, all that great, right? Like, well, yeah, but what, what have I done? And this is the point of the story, was that he didn't get to see, or he, did, he almost didn't get to see it. Most of us don't get to see the end of it. And really, the kingdom of God is, it grows and progresses through the work of ordinary Christians doing everyday things. And so, so you might be going through your life, and, and you're struggling with the kids and all that, and you're like, what does it matter when I really pray? Does my prayers really do anything or maybe you're, you're struggling, you're giving sacrificially to the church, you're like, is my, is my giving really making any kind of difference? Or you're giving up your time to help disciple people, and you're like, man, is this, is this doing anything? Is it even worth it? And the good news and the hopeful thing that we have about Christ's second coming is when he comes, he's going to reveal to us the reality of all the good that we've done.
And we're going to be able to see it. And he's going to reward us for it. And in that time, when he makes all things clear, he's going to take the high, the, the lofty people, the people who think that they're something, and he's going, to, he's going to bring them down if they're not in faith. And for those of us who are just lowly, low trees, dry trees, he's going to bring us up. And part of that is showing us the reality of the good things that we've done. And so, so each year at Christmas time, we open up presents, and we typically, I think, open up presents kind of looking back to what Jesus' first coming, right? And the, he was given presents and St. Nicholas and all that. But we also get to open up presents in anticipation of his second coming. And hopefully that's going to be part of it, your Christmas celebration this year. That as you open up your surprise and you get a good surprise, it reminds you that when he comes back and when he makes everything clear, you're going to be revealed. The good things that you've done for him are going to be finally be fully revealed for you and you're going to receive a reward. Man, if you are in Christ, his second coming is going to be great. And I'm excited for you. And I'm excited for me because I'm a believer too. So that'd be great. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your care for us. We thank you that even though we don't deserve your love and your mercy and we don't deserve the good gifts that you give us, you still give them to us. You still came and you loved us and died for us and you promised to come back. And when you come back, you're going to make all things new. And that's going to be great. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we got good news and that we are bound for the promised land and the hope that when Jesus returns, all things will be made right. But we also have the good news that his presence is with us now and his joy is with you now. If you are in Christ, when Christ thinks about you, it's with a smile on his face and a joy and joy in his heart. So adopted children of the Lord, receive your benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine to you upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace, both now and forevermore. Amen. Go in his peace. peace.